And I was laying in the middle of our living room. Everyone was gone. My wife was at work. My children were at school. And I, I began to pray this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, as I had heard it in service after service after service. And I remember saying, God, move this mountain. I'm in agreement with you. My faith is in you. God, move this mountain. And with a thundering roar in a way that only God has the ability, he pinned me to the floor in the time that I yelled, move. And God said, stop asking me to move the mountain. I sat there frozen in prayer, God, but if you don't move it, I can't make it. And God said, climb the mountain. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey, everybody, I hope you're having a great day. Or if your day is done and you listen to this at night, you've had a great day. Man, am I ever excited about the podcast. We have an incredible guest. I'm so honored to have him on the program. Our guest today is none other than Josh Carson. Josh is an incredible husband and father, and he has served as a youth pastor and a youth president, and now is the general youth president of UPCI Youth Ministries. But above all of the hats and various titles that he has worn and had in his ministerial career, perhaps the one for which he is most loved and most known is that of preacher of the gospel. Josh is one of the most incredible preachers that you'll ever hear in your life. And this clip of the message that you heard in the intro of this show, Why the Mountain Won't Move, you have to find it and listen to it. Find it on iTunes, scour the internet, look it up on YouTube. It will change your life. But speaking of impact, I believe that this interview today is also going to have an impact on your life, your leadership, and your ministry. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our interview and talk to Josh about preaching. Well, hey, bro, thank you so very much for um, being on the program today. I'm really glad to have you as the guest. Man, it's my honor. I appreciate you reaching out. Thankful for what you're doing. Love the restoration. It's been listening to the podcast. And so being able to come on and talk about this topic, uh, along with some incredible friends that are also talking about preach, uh, preaching, I just consider it an honor. Well, thank you very much. Now, uh, you and I have been, we've been friends for a few years now. Um, I'll never forget uh, the Ohio camp that uh, you had me preach at, um, as simply because I wore a cardigan in the middle of the middle of the summer, which you never let me forget. <laughs> No, no. Welcome, welcome to the blazing heat of Ohio midsummer. I don't even know what I was thinking, man. It was, uh, it was. Well, that makes two of us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Stephanie, Stephanie had just, uh, just had Judah, and uh, I think it was like three weeks old uh, at the time, and so like I don't. There's large chunks of that, like that camp. I don't remember because I was so sleep deprived. And so I just, that's why I put on a cardigan and walked into, walked into church. And I was like, this, it's so hot out here. I can't believe it. And then I realized I'm in a sweater. Um, but you, you and I have been, we've been friends. We've been friends for a, a long time. And I've heard you talk about um, this both publicly and we've talked about it personally, uh, about your journey into ministry and to preaching the gospel. But there may be a, a lot of people that haven't heard kind of your story of how uh, God kind of led you into preaching and led you into ministry. And could you tell us about your journey into preaching the gospel? How did it all kind of happen for you? Sure. Um, you know, I, I really felt, Adam, like I was called to preach from a very, very young age. I was just a kid. I have this vivid memory from when I was a young child. The I can still tell you, I can see it vividly right now, the lighting in the church, the way the choir was standing. We lived in Cleburne, Texas at the time, and I attended Brother Ashley's church there, and I had this amazing moment with God. However, as time went on and over the years, I think that call was just solidified as I got into my, my teenage years. Now, I knew I was called to preach uh, when my youth pastor around 14, 15 asked me to get up and do one of those fiery five messages, you know, and, and I got up 
I'll never forget the feeling of anointing. I guess when I say that, you would even probably resonate remembering what it felt like the first time the anointing hit you. Most likely, it didn't make much sense. Um, it was probably a little more uh, volume than it was actual content, but I felt the presence of God so strong. I think my journey into actually being a preacher, though, hit a crossroads when I had to determine whether I was going to really be a preacher and follow what I knew was God's will, or I was going to try to do Josh's will and be a preacher on the side. And so I came to this crossroads moment uh, that I would call really the most intense in my life. I had sat down with my youth pastor. My dad had gone through a grave sickness uh, in my late high school years. Uh, Our family had dealt with some financial struggle as a result. And, And so I had all these things in my mind. I knew I was called, but I really, man, I really had in my mind sitting on my youth pastor's couch there in that moment, tears flowing down, dripping off of my cheeks. I told him, I said, I know I'm called to preach, but I just want to make money. And I'm not sure how it had got into my mind that, you know, you, you could not have a, uh, a living being a preacher. I'm not sure what my mind was doing. It was just kind of a, a tough season. And during that time, I think my youth pastor gave me the most important thing he could. Um, he gave me his time. And because he gave me his ears and gave me his time, he didn't keep interrupting. He just looked back at the end of me, pouring my heart out and him knowing that I had the call of God on my life to preach. And he told me that if I would trust God with what I knew I was called to do, that God would always take care of me. And so I, I, I went out to a camp. Norm Pasley was preaching. Uh, I thought I was too old to be at camp. I was 18 years old. I had signed up all my scholastic uh, or my, my college was already paid for. I was had done a couple of years of a marketing program and I was about to start at university there. It was all paid for and covered. And Norm Pasley, the great late Norm Pasley began to preach about taking out the trash. And I got to tell you, when he started talking, I thought that he was going to preach about sin. In fact, I could, <laughs> I could see myself sitting on that front row and telling God, well, it's okay. I I don't think I have any sin in my life. And I had no more thought that than Norm Pasley out loud screams in the mic. I am not preaching about sin tonight. I'm preaching about all the trash between you and your calling. Oh man, I was overwhelmed. Anyway, long story short on that night, I buried my face in the carpet. I committed to the call of God that, that really had been on my heart for some time, but I committed full bore. I, I had preached my first revival when I was 16 years old, a couple of years before, but I was really in limbo battling this. How do I do both? But my youth pastor gave me his time and a man of God at a camp gave me a word that I needed in the right season. Um, and that really, that really solidified what has been the last uh, 20 years of my life. If there was a way in which you could define your approach or your style um, to preaching, how would you define or explain it? Man, that's a great question. I, I would say I am a narrative preacher um, and a flow preacher, if that makes sense. And I'll try to explain that a little bit. I struggle. You and I have had maybe this conversation uh, before. I struggle when people bounce all over the text, um, New Testament, Old Testament, unless they are really tying something together in a topical style of message. Um, And so I naturally am drawn in when someone pours through a narrative in Scripture, and they, uh, they, they squeeze the juice out of everything in that story, and they they consider what perspective that they're approaching that narrative from. Uh, you know, there's different. There's a completely different narrative by each different character uh, in that story. And so, I typically will preach start to finish on the same narrative, not jumping around. If I I I hardly ever mingle stories when I preach, but I will reach maybe maybe to what I would call support cast scriptures, maybe in either the Old or the New Testament, as long as I find that it's a direct connection to the narrative that I'm preaching. Now, the reason I would say I'm a flow 
preacher is I'm trying to make sure that I am not uh, more in touch with my notes than I am the audience. I'm trying to make sure that I'm not more in touch with what I have prepared than I am the atmosphere that I'm preaching in. And so I'm, I'm trying to pray, as I guess any preacher would be, that I'm very cognizant and aware of my surroundings and the atmosphere and where we're going. And even someone that is a uh, absolute transcript or man, manuscript, even preacher that is a word-for-word individual, um, they would tell you that there are times when certain parts of the message just hit differently or there's a different feeling in the atmosphere. So I typically am extremely aware. I've done a lot of study on the narrative. I've pulled through it. I've poured through it. Um, and then as I'm preaching it, there's, there's often just different areas of that narrative that become or seem to be more important if I'm that same story message narrative again, depending upon the setting. So I, I don't know if that's an actual style, but let's call it a narrative flow <laughs> preaching style. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And, and I've, I've been in a lot of places where you've preached. I specifically remember Ontario when you were at a winter youth crusade and there was a particular moment in our message where you just, you walked and you were just walking through the crowd and um, there was something there that stuck. So you were going in, you know, in and out of pews, up and down the balcony, um, across, across that church. And, and uh, I was wondering, oh my goodness, how in the world is he, is he staying on point while, you know, it wasn't just like a few minutes. It was like, you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, you spent completely yeah. out of the pulpit and away from your notes. And so I guess you kind of answered how, how you do that. And that is, it's that preparation and the internalization of what you're trying to say, all the different things that you're trying to say so that when that moment hits and you feel the spirit lead and the people, their hearts respond to a particular moment, you can kind of just stop and park there and unpack that almost on the fly. Is that, is that correct? Is that a correct assessment? That's, that's, that's a correct assessment. Yeah. I think, I think Jesus tried to preach by telling stories. That's, that's kind of what I view. He told a story. He's the master of parable. I consider Christ as the master storyteller. And so while some of my favorite uh, speakers have been just amazing storytellers, um, you know, one of my uh, ways of looking at that is while I'm telling stories, I'll do that, as you know, in different settings. And so whether it's the way that I'm displaying it, I'm always trying to remember that they they will receive a story much better than they will receive my point. And there's no better way to do that than to make sure I'm unpacking a biblical story or a biblical narrative. Uh, and so if I, I try, really try and ask God to help me make the scripture come alive because we're preaching. I'm doing so much preaching to a younger generation. Post-maternity, you know, has brought us to a place where our latest studies tell us that the average individual in, in a college setting needs a new emotional took a new emotional hook every two minutes to keep them geared into what a speaker is saying. And so I'm trying to find my place. You know, they're, they're so mesmerized with this digital world. So Adam, I find myself trying to make sure that the characters of scripture are coming alive, try to make them feel, make the audience feel the way that I see them. You know, when I view Peter, when I, when I consider James, when I talk about John, I try to make them very personal and very real, um, looking through a first century lens, but trying to put it into a modern context so that it makes sense for the listener. So the next question is, uh, what, what inspires you? You talked about the importance of uh, connecting with your audience, making people feel the story, um, the post-modernity, those different emotional hooks every, every few moments that requires a tremendous amount kind of of work. So, and it's work of, of, of not just creating the sermon or in which we'll ask about that or talk about that in a second. It's, it's keeping your, keeping yourself fresh, you staying inspired. So what inspires you and how, how do you stay fresh? How do you, how do you stay sharp? if it's something you read or listen to or disciplines you have in your life. So how do you keep that continual kind of flow of, of inspiration 
um, and freshness in your preaching and in the thoughts that shape your sermons? Regardless of where you're, where you're at, whether you've just started preaching or whether you've been preaching for, uh, you know, I'll say 20 years, I would even say 40, 50 years, you know, for an elder, the reality is, for me, daily devotion is so critical. The way that I start my day, starting my day with prayer, starting my day in my own personal devotional, and then making sure that I am walking through. Personally, I pray through the tabernacle. It's the way that I walk through. It's instruction that gave to me. Maybe there's parts of me at times that want to get sidetracked or jump off. And so having a very structured prayer helps me to know which piece of furniture that I'm walking to. I start with thanksgiving and praise. I try to get in to the presence of God, and then I walk from the altar around, and you understand the tabernacle plan. But I bring that up to tell you that one of the ways I stay fresh is by each day I try to come to the menorah, and I pray for two things. I pray for structure, and I pray for oil. Um, I came to a realization, I would call it maybe a personal revelation for my own life, a while back that if I have just oil, and I've been in some some churches uh, where it was so much focus on the oil that there was no structure, but I found that if I have all oil and no structure, that I have a puddle of oil on the floor, I had the potential for greatness, but it didn't really happen. But at the same time, if I have all structure, just that piece of furniture, that candlestick, and I have no oil, then all I have is another piece of furniture. And I, I try to keep myself fresh that way to make sure that I live my life structured and diligent and planned out. I try to make sure that my, uh, I read intentionally, that I pray intentionally and that I stay connected to the right resources. That's both the, uh, resources that I read and things that I do through my study, but also the human resources that I need around me. And I try to make sure that with that structure, I'm continually tapping in, to the uh, to the presence of God and trying to keep my my cup, as it were, running over with oil. I try to pray. I believe that as a preacher, we should pray until we have a break in the Holy Ghost every single day. Uh, and I try to have a breakthrough so that I can walk in tune. Uh, you know, Adam, let me say it this way. I'm convinced right now that hell absolutely hates me. Um, some people think, you know, my current role as national youth president that, you know, that's just a voted on position, but talking to previous and living through it myself, I mean, I'm convinced the attacks that, that I have come under, um, spiritually, mentally, the things that we've dealt with hell, hell really hates what I'm doing. And, and so, uh, I would say that there's no doubt regardless of where a preacher is living or leading that hell hates anybody that's trying to advance the kingdom of God. And so trying to lead without having that really intentional daily devotion and prayer, I think it's, I think it's crazy to, to dip the, the well into or the bucket into an empty well and continue to be able to produce results that are going to be effective. And so I try to be really intentional with that. And then I surround myself with a lot of, a lot of, uh, good people that recommend good reading. I'm consistently having friends send me books and we're talking about books back and forth. I try to read things to the season I'm in, but I also try to be eclectic in that. Uh, the average person may tell you not to read any fiction. However, I do occasionally even read fiction just for grammar uh, and structuring a little bit of a, a mental break. One of our, I won't even say on here just in case they wouldn't want me to, but I, I had one of our greatest preachers of all time talk to me about particular author that they read that's fiction. And it's simply for the grammar and the way that the stories are told. And so as a narrative preacher, I like, I like reading uh, those as well. One of the things that's been really cool, this is the, I guess the third interview that I've done uh, thus far on preaching and it's been brother Graham and uh, then LJ Harry. And now you, and one of the things that has been really cool, this this constant theme that's run through when we get to this particular question, I ask the same question, is what I guess what you brought out was that structure and spirit, how the two absolutely, if you're going to continue to be fresh and inspired and grow and um, that you've got to have both and the you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, as God leads and directs and inspires, 
you have to have the structure in your life and, and, and in place to, to kind of, you know, keep things flowing and, and keep the ideas documented somewhere. So brother Graham, um, he had this document that, uh, that, that he has with all of his, he's had a continuous running word doc for, um, uh, years and years of his thoughts. LJ uses Dropbox. Um, all of them, they say they, they're reading, they're studying, they're praying. And then that kind of, that, that kind of spark hits or whatever. How, how do you document those kind of those ideas? Are you a notebook guy? Are you a Dropbox or Evernote person? How do you, how do you structure as God is speaking and the things you're reading are inspiring you? How do you document all of those ideas as they come uh, for a time that you can use them later? Absolutely. Well, I have them in a couple different ways. I do have some hard copies where I will scan stuff off and even put it, but I, I obviously in this day and age, I just use digital. I keep a file, um, of, it was so funny when I, when I listened to brother Graham, uh, on that podcast and I heard him talking about message starters, I do the same thing. Uh, but I think I did what every other or most preachers, let's say did when he said that I thought, man, I'd like to get my hands on his message starters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got we got and, some uh, people trying to hack into his computer right now, <laughs> just in case, you know, in case we can make yeah. it work. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep trying since his office is down the hall. I'm going to keep. There we I'm go. Keep trying. Um, I I do that as well. I keep message starters. I try to keep good illustrations. I will tell you one thing. I do is I save illustrations. I'm. Uh, some people might not agree with this. I try to never build a message around an illustration. I try to always build a message around the text. And so I don't ever try to place text around illustration. I try to always place illustration around text. And so when I get a great illustration, I will click those. Typically it's digitally and I will throw them into the folder that I keep for messages and message prep. And I have a folder that's full of just messages and message starters. And that's how I revisit that. Now, I'm in a unique season right now where I may be preaching the same message multiple times, whereas on the local level, I wasn't doing that as much. So I'm, I'm holding this and I'm saving certain things for certain settings so that I can go back in. A lot of times for me, again, because I'm a narrative preacher, someone will be preaching. I'll be sitting in the audience and, and they will say something and it will stick out to me about the way I never, I never saw it from that angle of that individual or that character in the study or in the text before. And when that pops out, man, I got to go to that folder. I keep it even to where I can access it on my phone. And I begin to pull it up and I just, I just write a few lines down. And that starts for me, what I would call the, the crock pot process. A few of my friends and I, we talk this way, things go in the crock pot and they typically stay there for, for quite some time. And we just continue to add things along the way as it's mealing over in my mind and in my spirit. Um, so I think my process is probably, probably pretty similar However, um, if I can get those from Brother Graham, I'll do a real, a real thorough evaluation. Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be real. I just, I would like to review them, you know, just for my own, you know, <laughs> growth. I never would use them. It's not like I would just take all of those thoughts and use them as my own. I would never do that. <laughs> but next question is: so, so you've you've prayed through the tabernacle. You've you're reading great, you know, these great resources, and you're having conversations. Um, and got stuff in the crock pot. Uh, now you're feeling that it's time to, it's time to reach into that crock pot and, you know, begin to develop that message. So once you get that spark of uh, inspiration, um, you get that release from the spirit. This, this is what I'm leading you to preach on. This is what I want you to talk about. Uh, We're getting ready now to put together the actual sermon. Um, How does that come together for you? What, what's the process that you go through? I, I become enamored with that narrative. I may read that same narrative in scripture over and over and over. And then I'm going to call my, my best friend is Aaron Bounds and I'm going to call Aaron and we are going to hash through that text. Uh, we've done this for a long time. Uh, I'm asking him how he's preached it. I'm asking him what he thinks. And, and we just do this for and with each other on a regular basis. So it's a very comfortable part of the process that's just natural and organic to me 
to do that. And, and so I'm going to begin to unpackage this narrative. I'm going to start looking at it, asking if it makes sense. And then I'm going to tell you any revelation that I start to get uh, as I, I will start building uh, bullet points where I want to go. Sometimes I will work from the, the back forward. I'm always wondering what the major point of the message is going to be. I, I struggle to think that the average listener can handle uh, a lot of points and whether, whether we should be more spiritually mature, whether it's the reality of what our day and age has done to the attention span. I've still got to be cognizant of that. So I'm looking for one major, major point that everything is going to revolve around and how that's going to play out. So everything has to connect. So sometimes I'm building from the altar. I think my introduction uh, for me needs to be the start of my altar call. That's the most important as a Pentecostal preacher. um, I believe in dramatic conversion. I believe in the power of dramatic confession and conversion. So everything has to reach towards that altar call or that acceptance, that confession, and the way that that can be applied to the individual's life. So when I'm reading, when I'm just mulling through this narrative, I'm asking God just to download into my spirit the parts of this content that need to be relayed in the setting. Why has he placed this on my heart? Why is it so deep into my mind? Help me to understand how this connects to the altar call or to the actionable item. And then I will begin to, I'll begin to find and try to zero in on what this main point is. And then it would then it would start Adam just taking a very standard outline format. Um, it's very very standard. My intro, I create what what I send almost everywhere I go is a production outline, and so I try to create that in a very bullet point fashion. Sometimes I must confess to you that there are times because I'm a narrative flow preacher and I'm so well aware. There are times I am more concerned with whoever's doing sound lighting slides about them having the information than I am me having this uh, overly structured or manuscript or transcript product because of how I'm preaching and telling the story. I'm making sure that I don't bog my own self down with too many details as long as I can relay the narrative and do it in an educated and informed and most importantly, an anointed manner. But so I would tell you that it starts there. It starts with really just falling in love, learning that narrative. Then secondly, I make sure that I am asking God to direct me to that major point and any revelation from that narrative and text and how it's applicable. And then I start reaching out to, uh, you know, Aaron, my friend, and then I, and then I may even call some others and start to chew, chew them. And I would tell you before I get to a finished product, I have a couple people like Dr. Dave Norris, people like that, that I might even reach out to and say, will you make sure, uh, Will you make sure, here's what I've studied, here's what I've researched, here's the Bible program I've been in, here's how I've studied the text, but will you make sure that I am theologically correct? Because I don't want to present something in a message that gets a uh, ooh from the crowd, you know, all the, and, and I know that preachers, we if we're not careful, we have a tendency to love it if the crowd goes, oh my, ooh, wow. Well, we don't want the crowd saying, oh my, well, you know, Jesus is like, oh my, because we're stretching the text and we've turned it from evangelistic to evangelistic. And so I'm trying to make sure that there is theological integrity on everything that we're doing there. That's awesome. I just want to circle back to, you've brought it up a couple of times now, and that's talk through your message with other people. Could you kind of just speak to that as to why that's so important for you and why you think it should be, especially for younger preachers, important for them as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, for me, let me start by saying, if it's such a personal revelation that you're scared of other people knowing that you probably shouldn't preach it, uh, you know, you need to, you need to yeah. hold on, hold on to that. Maybe, it, maybe, and, and I think that is something for young preachers to be aware of too. Sometimes God preaches a message and gives you a message to preach to yourself that was never for another crowd. Uh, and we do need to be aware of that. However, if it's a message for the day, a message for the for the body as a whole that you're going to share, you need to have people around you that you can trust, that you can bounce things off of. Don't be worried about 
someone else taking your message. I'm not intimidated to share my thought with somebody else. And you know what, truthfully, and I'm, I'm connected at this season with some just unbelievable preachers who stand on large stages that if I talk to them about my message and they preach that concept or thought, and I will tell you most guys that preach at a certain level, they, they're not going to go preach your thought or your concept, or they're going to ask you if they can. In fact, the other day I had someone, someone text me, Adam, this is a great, great point. They text me and said, Hey, remember we were talking, do you think that I could share uh, such and such that you mentioned? And, and they were asking, I said, absolutely. I think that's great. You know, and, and I hope that it's uh, effective for you. Our goal has got to be the health of the body, not the health of our own ego. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you're, if you're constructing a message so that ultimately you will look good or someone has to think that you are this, you know, you have this deep theological excavation that God can only give to you because you're the new revelator, then, then it's starting from a, an odd place. Let me tell you one of the number one reasons I keep somebody uh, like that in my life. Number one, I enjoy it. Um, I'll say it that way. I just love talking with friends. You and I many times have talked about scripture and messages and thoughts. And um, but if I call if I call one of my friends and I'm talking through a message, I need somebody who can just tell me, uh, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I need you know you need somebody in your life. If if you're offended or worried at the thought that they they can't tell you, well, what if they tell me it doesn't it doesn't make sense? But but once the anointing hits me, then it will make sense. You know, they they can't really understand it. Well, if it's so deep a revelation that the person closest to you can't get it, you know, they're I'm, I mean, non-preaching stupidity um, and preaching stupidity really are both stupidity. Yeah, absolutely. And so you'd rather do it one-on-one where somebody can tell you, I've had several times where I'm talking to Aaron and and I'm like, I'm like, so man, you kind of understand what I'm saying. And he'll, and he'll be like, uh, uh, say it again, say it again. (laughs) And, and, and I try to explain it again. And he's like, no, no, not really. Um, and 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 he's he's he and then he might do this, but here's a way you can approach the text. Maybe you can maybe you can do this, and and so if my ego's on the line in that moment, I can do one of two things. And I've watched guys do this, and I felt this thing of this myself. I can think, well, they just don't understand the revelation, or I can say, man, there is no resource like the human resource. So I have people in my life I can reach out to that help me, so that I can be most effective for the kingdom of God. And that's the goal. When I talk to someone like this, they're helping me to be most effective for the kingdom of God. I can't stress this enough. Nobody, nobody, nobody should get into ministry without feeling called. And if you're called, you are not called for you. You are called to serve the people. Um, I had a, and I'm going to share something really transparent here for a moment, but when I was a young preacher, I was getting invited onto some stages, some platforms that were really hard for me to deal with. And I still feel that way at times, there's no doubt, but I had this, this preacher that I highly respected. He grabbed me and, and he threw his arms around me, began to, to talk to me. And he, and he just told me, fall in love with preaching, fall in love with preaching, and Adam, let me, let me tell you, I did, and I fell in love with preaching and he was well-meaning, but I fell so in love with preaching that somewhere along the way, uh, early, early in my full-time ministry on staff, I walked into my pastor's office and began to cry. And, and I began to tell him that the Lord had started revealing to me that somewhere along the way, I, I fell in love with preaching more than people. Mm. And the dangers there is if you forget that, that everything you're doing, it is not about your oratory, and it's not about pulpiteering. It's not so that you can get the applause of people. It's so that at the end of the day or at the end of your message, the applause you're really seeking are nail-scarred. And so I'm trying to make sure that when I talk to a friend, when I bounce it off of an individual, help me make sure that this makes sense when it's presented to the body. Not only does it need to be well presented, but it needs to be biblically accurate don't be afraid of letting somebody shoot down a bad idea or help you to build up a good idea. Absolutely. And one of the things when, when I was studying um, and just researching kind of 
how the Bible was was put together and how the different apostles would you know would write their um, you know their their letters and how often you know whether it be Paul or Peter they would have uh, they would have a secretary that would be writing those thoughts down uh, as they're as they're being dictated and uh, I just thought how cool it would have been to to be in that cell with the Apostle Paul or with Peter. Oh my. Um, and realizing that the scripture itself arose, like there were, obviously they bear the title of the one who wrote it and was inspired by God uh, to give that word. And that individual is there just, you know, jotting down the thoughts or recording what that individual was saying, be it Paul or Peter or others, but just how the word of God, especially the New Testament, it, it arose, it arose from community. It arose from the body and how, you know, from the preparation to the delivery phase, like you said, it's all about people. And the only way that I'm going to become more effective connecting the word to people is if at all levels of preparation, I'm having conversations with really great people that I trust that are wise, that are able to, you know, with a check my thought, help round it out. Uh, my wife is enormously practical. I'm an ideas kind of guy. And so I'm continually tossing ideas kind of, you know, by her uh, for her feedback. And she, she'll often, one of the big things, just like say, okay, how's that impact my life? How's that, how's that make a difference for me? And uh, that's one of the, that's been so helpful because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm immersed in study and I'm immersed in the idea of things. But like you said, this is all about people. And at the end of the day, those people in that room, they're going to they're gonna pray, come to that altar, and then they're going to leave, and they're going to go back home. They're going to get on the bus. They're going to go back to school or back to their families. And that, that word has got to take root and come alive in the rest of the time where they're not in church. And I wouldn't be able to make the applications that I make in my local church without the voice of my wife or my dad or uh, some of the other young ministers that are around me in my local church. I just, I love that so much that the importance of using the, the human resource of people um, in the development yeah. and speaking. Let of, me even add, let me add one thing if I can, because yeah. I think it's important for some of the guys that are maybe listening, uh, even in my demographic, one of the things that has helped shape the way I'm preaching to young people right now, as hard as it is to believe I've got two kids in the youth group. Um, my oldest 15 and my, my second turning 12. And so recently before I was going to preach an event, this has become common over the last couple of years, but I was about to go preach a camp and I'm going to be preaching the teen culture. It's a dangerous thing to assume. Now I do believe that there's things, the anointing unlocks and, and scripture is timeless, but I sat down with my 15 year old and I began to talk through my message and some of my thoughts and begin to ask his input and said, I, I want you to judge dad a little bit. I want you to help me here a little bit to make sure that I'm not in this blind uh, reality of thinking I'm connecting when I'm not, when my, when my language is wrong. And, my, I'm, and I'm not talking about being culturally relevant. I mean, every preacher that listens to this, somewhere along the way, you've got to choose whether you're going to be savvy or spiritual, and, and you've got to choose spiritual every time. But I, I will say that we can you can be both righteous and relevant. And so taking a, it, it, it is not a bad idea. If you are preaching to teen culture to every now and then when you're preaching at a camp or you're preaching at a youth week, or maybe you're a local, uh, uh, an individual starting to preach in the local youth services and you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to pull a couple of the young people and say, tell me, tell me what's good. Tell me what's struggling in our communication with youth culture. Um, don't just try to Google everything. Get some real-life feedback. Uh, that's been very helpful for me. I love that. What other resources do you use? You talked about uh, Bible study programs and other books or, uh, that you use in the preparation process. What, what, other, uh, what other resources do you use when you study? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love a free resource online, Blue Letter, um, Man, I, I love Blue Letter Bible. It's just a, a great one. I I'm a, I have Logos. That's what I use for my Bible study program. And so that takes me into a tremendous amount of opening. You know that I've been on a, on a process trying to finish up on four courses from trying to finish my master's degree. And that has opened up an entire 
new way of study. I'll tell you, man, I love commentaries. I don't know why uh, some people would think, man, he sounds he sounds a little bit geeky, but I love library time. I love studying and sitting in a library, and that is really not my my nature. I'm more of a an orange nature in the sense that for those that don't know color testing, I, I, I want to go, I'm, I'm ready to do the next thing, but something about study and, and unpackaging on a thought. So I may chase a, I, I want to get into commentaries. I want to get into Bible dictionaries. I want to make sure that it's all scholastically correct. And so I may just get lost in the library for hours with that. I'm at a little bit more of an advantage being close to a academic library However, the vast amount of resources online and almost anyone listening could get some kind of a uh, entrance opportunity or a pass into your closest library that might not only have, um, you know, regular books, but you might be able to get in some kind of a seminary styled uh, library where you can get in and you can do some great research. So for me, that's become a go to. I just want to get get some clarity on on this. You, uh, you're finishing up your master's at at UGST. Uh, and yes, how sir. how has that impacted your your preaching? Obviously, the the rigor of study and the discipline of research that I could see how you know that would cross over very much in that you have learned the discipline of of really studying out a text, but what are some other things that when you go that kind of deep and intense on apostolic doctrine, you're surrounded by some of the most brilliant uh, minds that are in the apostolic movement that are completely and totally sold out to the message. What, what has UGST done or what impact has UGST in studying academically the scripture? How, how has that impacted your preaching? I'll tell you this way, if we were just sitting in a coffee house talking about this right now, I'd tell you the same the same thing. I've never been more convinced of what I believe in the apostolic doctrine ever in my life than I am right now as a result of my time, my last few years at UGST. Digging in, studying, understanding has gone to a new level. Uh, I'll, I'll say that this way, because you've already touched on the fact that it's it's taught me how to study in a new way, to dig in, to dive in. Uh, with the process of UGST, one of the things it's done, it is it has challenged me for the memorization and the application of Scripture. Um, I will set in a, in a classroom when I get the opportunity to be on campus and setting in a classroom it's nothing for me to sit there class after class and listen to Dave Norris. Never, He's never lifting his voice, and often he's weeping while he's doing it, but he's in the narrative, and he will quote scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And Adam, it's not like these go-to scriptures. Here again, let me just call it confession for a moment. I think sometimes we memorize scriptures as preachers that we think preach real well, we have some of our go-to scriptures, so we have them memorized. But I've, I've sat in so many classes where he or another professor have been quoting what I would have considered much more obscure passages of scripture. And while they're doing it, the way that the Spirit of God fills that room, it's reminded me how very much alive and how very powerful that the Word of God really is simply in its and it's being read out loud in a crowd. So much about the text was meant to be communal. And I know that we have to drive home individual, individual, you know, your personal life, what you give to God. But when we take a real good evaluation, taking a look at, at even the Old Testament into the Psalms and, and the process of, of uh, you know, the law, but especially when we get into the New Testament celebration of the church, it was a communal process. And so UGST has also uh, strengthened my need for communal training, to be around other individuals, this iron sharpening concept. I am more aware than ever. We have, we have people all over the world that are doing this training that I'm getting to rub shoulders with. So it's not just the professors, but it may be, uh, it may be a, a pastor that's pastoring in a city, a small town that I've never heard of before. I was recently in a class with a guy. I, I had never met the guy. He's a, he is a licensed minister, but I had never met him and he's working UGST. This is like his second or third 
master's degree. His knowledge of scripture was brilliant. I'm gleaning from this every time that he's talking. And so I would say my greatest challenge is not just learning how to study well and make sure that I am biblically accurate, make sure that I'm approaching scripture as it fits into the context of the greater whole of scripture, but it's taught me, uh, I would say in a greater way than ever to glean and be strengthened. It is the diminishing of your own ego. You know, we, we should, we've got to be humble if we're going to be effective ministers and servants of Christ and being around these people. Anytime I get to, whether it's a chat forum, doing a class online or whether it's setting, uh, in a class and, and this isn't a, I'm not, this isn't a push for UGST. I'm, you just asked me, it's just helped me to learn how valuable it is to have peers, some a little younger, some a little older, but studying together on the same journey to make, to make God's word something that is very real and very alive, maybe in a fashion that I've never had before uh, on an entirely new, new level, at least. That's something that UGST has definitely done for me. What impact have various seasons uh, of life had on your ministry? And then specifically, the second part, um, concerning your role now as National Youth President, how has, you know, preaching not to a, the same local church every week, but to the larger body, usually in a different place, probably almost every weekend uh, or every week, uh, doing all sorts of different events all over the world. How has that shift in season impacted the things you say and what you're saying? I think for on the local level, I will tell you this, I'm a local church guy. I love the local church. I love ministry. In fact, when I accepted the invitation to come here, when Brother Enzi invited me to come in the fall of 2013, I I told him in an introductory meeting my my goal, and I felt like my mandate to come was making sure from serving 13 years on staff on the local level that what we were doing on the national level would work through and be something that was feasible and could be utilized on the local level. So I love, 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 love the local level. When it came to the local level, I am a series guy. I'm a curriculum guy. I've been preaching for and teaching for a long time that in youth ministry and in adult ministry, we should be curriculum-based. We should be series-based. There again, it's back to that structure and oil concept. And if we will map out and take the time to structure where we're going, then God can anoint us in the season. I, I don't think that preaching on any level should be reaction-based unless there, obviously the Holy, Holy Ghost can come in and interrupt at any point that's, that's necessary. But I tried to always be very structured and making sure that I wasn't reacting through my preaching or teaching, but that I was being proactive and trying to preach um, always for the health of that local body. And I was consistently, I think, on the local level through that curriculum and through that process and that structure, knowing where the trajectory was taking us, um, whether that was working with our senior pastor, whether that was trying to preach to the youth ministry and make sure that we were headed somewhere. Uh, and for anybody listening to this, if you have anything to do with local preaching in your church, please try to make sure that all of your sessions are not just reactional inspiration messages. Make sure that there is some form of trajectory, whether that series, um, you know, Adam, for years, I have promoted that, that by the time you hit December of this year, you should have a trajectory of your series for the next year. And maybe you don't have every I dotted, every T crossed. I think you should have some sense of trajectory where you're going for the health of the church. Now, to say that, obviously, that has bled over even in the way that I approach events when I go to do youth meetings and, and go to do camps. There are, without doubt, there are events where I will do a different message a uh, different title, maybe not from the same text or the same narrative, but then there are several events where I will take the the one narrative or, or a, a series, a handful of texts, and I will preach almost curriculum style through that so that it all flows together. Um, just making sure that we're heading on that, le on that same trajectory 
so that we're not randomly just hoping something good comes out of it. Not saying that anyone would do that, but it felt different on the local level. So much of my preaching and teaching was uh, in that same cycle of evangelism, retention, discipleship, evangelism, retention, discipleship, kind of flowing together in the, whether it was speaking to our leaders and then preaching to the church and the uh, amount of visitors that were showing up. And there's a incredible, incredible uh, sense of revival that continues to happen there in Northeast Ohio. And so I, I applaud what Pastor Bulgren and the incredible dynamic staff is doing there. For me, I think what has happened in my transition is like God has downloaded into my spirit these messages that seem to be for a season, and it's more for this uh, mass generation uh, or, or the generation that the mass as a whole of apostolic youth and young adults. I will tell you, I think men are put into positions or elevated. I believe that they're, you know, called of God, validated by the brethren, um, the body of Christ for a season. And typically there is a portion or a vision that God downloads into their spirit for that season. And I am, as you know, absolutely committed to a couple things. I think that the Lord has shown me uh, three key things. When I was first coming, the Lord showed me that we would see the greatest uh, visible results of multicultural revival. And you can take that multicultural and really break it down into all the different facets. I'm not only talking about race or ethnicity, but I'm talking across the board, multicultural revival. Um, another thing that I felt like the Lord really has dealt with me on is our absolute need, not only to evangelize globally, but take a strong look at the evangelism and the church planning in North America. We have partnered, uh, we're trying to partner stronger than ever before. And you'll see some things roll out at North American Youth Congress in the partnership to see churches planted across North America um, we now have several countries that have more churches than the United States of America, and we need a revival in Canada and in the United States of America. We need churches continuing to be planted across North America. And then, and then thirdly, as a result, I think, of that second point is you know that I have just been uh, somewhat tenacious about the need for our young people and young adults to pursue ministry and specifically any calling, but specifically the call to preach. Um, we have got to have our youth and our young adults accept the call of God to be preachers. And uh, I thank God for us giving a blanket call to ministry. And I thank God for those who have accepted it, but we have got to. And so my, my preaching seems to, for this season, things tend to tie back to one of these three major areas that God has really placed on me for this season of leadership. What do you admire the most about um, the new generation of, of preachers that are being called into the ministry right now? What do you admire most about them? They are so committed to apostolic identity. I think, I think the thing I admire most they are so committed to doctrine and apostolic identity as a whole, who we are, what we are. I am, I'm not mesmerized, but I'm almost overwhelmed by how powerfully they are preaching some of the young men and young ladies that I'm connected to and that I'm, I'm seeing and hearing and watching and, and the platforms that God is is putting, uh, we, we have, as you know, Adam, we have, we have 17, 18, 19 year olds that are out there. They're leading P7 clubs and CMI chapters. And, and we have some of them that are invited already preaching camps and conferences. And it is staggering. I will tell you this. I think that the current generation, this is going to sound a little cliche, but I think that the current generation has held very nervous. Absolutely. Thinking about young P7s, um, I was thinking here in Ontario, Amani Nangoma. Um, yeah. uh, he, he recently graduated. He was the valedictorian of his high school and they was voted as the valedictorian of, of his high school and how he had upwards after, you know, for a season of, of being locked out, um, and prevented from having P seven kind of clubs, uh, locked at a space, how eventually he got to a place where there was 
75, 85 people regularly gathering. Um, and just the yeah. movement that's been sparked uh, in Ontario alone, there's been, I think it was, and we're a, we're a district of predominantly small churches uh, with most, most of our churches. I think about 60% of our churches being 50 and under, there have been 60 first time guests that have um, come to a United Pentecostal church in the Ontario district, just from P seven clubs alone, they've visited and there've been numerous people that have gotten the Holy ghost, gotten baptized people who have gotten healed. Um, and the boldness is just incredible to, to see. So I, I echo that along with you that just, they're going after it with all of their heart and they're completely unashamed uh, to be apostolic. But if you were to give us um, something we need to work on or a word of caution or um, a red flag that you kind of see um, amongst all of the positive things that are in this you know, new generation of preachers and leaders in the kingdom, uh, if there's a red flag that, or something we feel that we need to work on, what, what would you tell us that that one thing would be? I think what I would tell you is, or tell the generation listening, all of us, is we better be very careful of our social media and the way that we present ourselves. You can be a humble individual, but you can post your own accolades online, and the perception can become that you're fascinated with yourself or with your own ministry, and unfortunately, perception becomes reality. Now, I'm not doing this as a, as a word of instruction. You and I have talked about this. You know, I don't post, I don't post clips of myself preaching. I, I rarely post if I've been preaching an event. I try to utilize social media to strengthen other people, never to be a way that some people might compare their ministry against my own. I've sat in a lot of rooms where individuals um, they may have a great ministry, but when they're being considered for a national platform, I've seen several times, and Adam, no doubt you've seen it yourself, where someone's ministry, maybe not as under question, but their character maybe comes under thought because of the way they present themselves uh, on social media. And so I'm not, I'm not speaking about uh, areas of sin and what you look at or what you're posting, those things I think are obvious as reasonable service. But I will tell you that more than ever, because people are looking and watching and evaluating, you don't want to appear that you're enamored with yourself on social media. I don't, I don't ever want some 20 year old that I'm, I'm hoping and praying is accepting their call to preach to, to be looking at all the places that I'm going. Now, if other people post that I've been there, that's one thing. But if I have to get on and, and post all the places that I'm at and the places that I'm going. So this is simply a word of caution. And some people may hear that and say, well, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. And for you, that may be okay. I will tell you that for me and for the young men that I'm trying to groom and trying to help, let promotion happen organically and let it happen from the hands or the mouths of someone else. Don't let it come from yourself because while you might think you're helping, you might be undercutting your own ministry. Uh, Josh, I want to give you want to give you the last word of this incredible interview. Thank you so much for being a part of it. But but what's the last word that you would like to to give to the audience? Thank you very much. I'm I'm going to make my last word what I started to say early uh, earlier in the interview. I'm not going to ask you to fall in love with preaching. Uh, because you're called to preach, I'm going to ask you to fall in love with people. I'm going to ask you to fall in love with souls. And the way I'm going to ask you to do that, my last word is going to be simple. I want you to, I want you in the next time you pray to pray as sincerely as you ever had, uh, that, that God would help you to see people the way that he does to love people on some level, the way that he does. Because if you truly fall in love with people, you will not be content to preach to the masses if your neighbors are lost. Um, when I walked into my house yesterday, I was thinking about North American Youth Congress. I began to almost cry in the front yard as I thought about those that would accept callings at North American Youth Congress and the fact that Stephanie on my left and Chris and Ray on my right have still not received the Holy Ghost. And so my, my last word to you is love your neighbor as yourself 
and make sure that you acknowledge the reality that as you're, if you're a preacher, you're not just called to preach blindly, you're called to preach to people. And you're surrounded by people in your neighborhood, you're surrounded by people on your street, you're surrounded by people at work, you're surrounded by people in your school. So love those people. And if you really love people, you'll be a much more effective preacher. That was an incredible interview. I know you're going to want to listen to that again and again and maybe jot down some notes when you listen to it that second or that third time. Thank you so much, Josh, for being on the program today. Some amazing insights about preaching the gospel. And if those of you that are listening, you have anybody in your life, your church, your family that has a call to ministry or is preaching the gospel right now, and they're not a listener to The Restorationist, this interview was so good, you're going to want to hit the share button on your podcast player. And you're going to want to send that to them and tell them, listen to this interview. What Josh has to say is going to make an impact on your ministry. Thank you again for listening. If you have any feedback or really if you have any other questions you'd like me to ask future interviewees, please send them my way. I, uh, I'd love to ask some questions that come from my audience to uh, the various preachers and communicators that are going to be on the program over the next coming weeks and months. I'm so excited about some of the interviews. This is just a, uh, I guess, a little taste of, of what is coming, but we've got some great interviewees lined up. We've got Victor Jackson, Myron Weidman Jr., David McGovern, and one that I am really excited about, the greatest influence on my life and my ministry, and... One of the most amazing preachers that you'll ever hear in your entire life. I'm going to be interviewing my dad. And I'm going to have him talk about his story, his life, and his approach to preaching the gospel. If you're not subscribing, please subscribe. And if there are other people in your life, young leaders, old leaders, middle-aged leaders, that you feel would be impacted by the Restorationist, by all means, let them know about it. Thank you, may God bless you, and I hope you have a great day.